Christ. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be picking up uh, pretty much where we left off last time. We actually are going to um, fly through about 25 verses of chapter 10, and then we're going to settle in on verses 26 through 33. So for the sake of time, what I would like to do right now is I'm going to read verses 26 through 33. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. I'm going to read that. Uh, That'll be our focus passage. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the beginning of chapter 10 just so we can get a run at this. I want to connect what we talked about last week with what Jesus is saying here. And so we need to kind of fill in the blanks, but we don't have time to do it all. And so we're going to kind of summarize a bunch of chapter 10 and then we're going to soak in, hopefully, uh, verses 26 through 33 and, uh, and hear the word of the Lord today. So I'm going to read Matthew 10, 26 through 33. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Father, we ask for uh, the help of your Holy Spirit. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit. God, not only to reveal and to open our eyes to see your truth, but Father, also to give us resolve and, and power and a relentlessness, God, to proclaim from the housetops what we have heard uh, in your word, in the gospel. Father, I pray that you would enable us today to fear the right one. Uh, Father, I pray that you would begin to remove the fear of men uh, from our hearts and that you would cultivate in us a healthy reverence and awe of you. Father, we ask that you would guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's do some connecting, first of all. So last week, uh, we looked at the end of chapter 9, where Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send labors into his harvest, right? So, so Jesus kind of ends that chapter with that, that great call of harvest and praying earnestly that God would send labors into his harvest. And then in chapter 10, he does just what he prayed. I, I love that about Jesus. He's not like saying, hey, this is for somebody else. He's like, this, 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 we're doing this, right? So he says, pray earnestly for labors. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, he gives authority to his disciples. If we had time, we could we could rest there for just a little bit. Uh, in every commission that is given in, in the New Testament, there's always that idea of authority. The great commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And so whenever anybody goes, whenever anybody is sent, whenever anybody is proclaiming the good news of the gospel, they're doing so resting on Jesus' authority. His, his rule and reign over all the earth. In other words, he is commissioning you. He is saying, I, in in my resurrection, have proved that I am King of kings and Lord of lords, and now I am commissioning you. I'm giving you the authority to go and proclaim this message. And so he gives authority to his disciples. In the next couple of verses, he names his disciples. And then in verse 5, it says he sends them out. It says these 12 Jesus sent out. All right, so there is a sending. I call this the mini commission. Okay, so in Matthew 28, you have the Great Commission. That's to everybody. That's, that's every Christian. He's like, all right, you know I'm alive. You know I'm raised from the dead. So now you go. You go and make disciples of all nations, all right? Here in Matthew 10, I think we kind of have what, what I would call a mini commission, all right? So he's got his, his, his disciples, and he sends them out for a short time. They're going to come back. So he sends them out. He gives them instructions. He's like, hey, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Just, just go to Israel. Go to Israel, and then, then come back, and they're going to finish their ministry with Jesus in Jesus' earthly life, then he's going to die and he's going to be raised from the dead and then he's going to send them to the ends of the earth, all right? So this is kind of a a little microcosm of the Great Commission, I guess you could say. In verse 7, he makes it very clear what they're to do. They're to proclaim 
as they go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, they're, they're to tell everybody, hey, the king is here. We found him. We found the king. He's brought the kingdom. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God, to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In verses 14 and 15, he tells them that they are going to encounter obstinate resistance. All right? So he sends them out, but he's like, all right, guys, but you're, you're going to face resistance. You're, you're, you're going to face um, people that are not going to like what you say. They're, they're not going to listen to you. And, and he, he does a great thing here in verses 14 and 15. He gives them permission to move on. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I, I like that. He tells them, you know, if, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And later on in the chapter, he tells them, you know, if you, when, you're, when you're persecuted or driven out, just go to the next town. I, I, there's a great principle there that says you ought to go to people that are receptive. You know, now, now, now let, me, let me say that differently. That, that could be taken wrongly. You, you, you go to the nations, but, but you find those that are receptive. Okay? In other words, you find people that, that are receptive to the gospel, and there you invest. So, so in other words, you don't share your faith with somebody, and they're, they're, they're not interested, they're obstinate, and so you just, you just you know, you center in on them. You know, you make that your life mission. To, no, you, you got to go on. you got to move on. you got to find those who are ready to receive the gospel. He says in verse 16 and 18 that they need to be wise and strategic because they will be mistreated and persecuted and rejected. In verses 19 and 20, he says you're going you're to find yourself in scary situations. You're going to be brought before kings and rulers and governors. And, and, and don't worry about it, though. He says when, when you find yourself in that situation, I'm, I'm going to give you exactly what you need. I'm going to give you the words to say, not necessarily to escape. He, he never promises that, by the way. So, so he says, they're going to mistreat you, they're going to be opposed to you, they're going to persecute you, you're going to find yourself in these crisis situations, and, but don't worry about it. Not because God's always going to give you a way of escape, he doesn't tell you that. He, he doesn't say he's always going to deliver you from, from persecution or hard times or, or opposition. But what he says is, I'm going to give you what you ought to say. I'm going to put words in your mouth that are going to enable you to proclaim the gospel faithfully, to honor God, to fulfill your commission. In verse 24 and 25, he gives the heart of the opposition of the gospel. So this is why they're opposed to you. In verse 24, he says, The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Basically, Jesus says there, at the heart of the opposition is, People who hate Jesus are going to hate you. People who are opposed to Jesus are going to be opposed to you. If, if you are rightfully and truthfully proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, then people who do not accept Jesus are, are not going to accept you to some degree. In other words, the heart of your opposition, it doesn't have anything to do with you, but it has everything to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with people that will not receive Jesus or his truth. Okay? So, um, that's a little scary. All right, so that, that's, that's as fast as I could get through those 25 verses of chapter 10. But, but, but where we kind of land with that is that's a little scary. So, so Jesus gives authority, he sends them out, and then he tells them, man, you're going to meet opposition. You're gonna, you know, and not only are you going to meet opposition, this is not like an if, it's a when. You know, it's a when you meet opposition, when you're drugged before governors, when you're drugged before kings, I'm going to give you what to say. You know, they're going to hate you because they hated me. So, so he's really clear you're going to meet this opposition, and that's going to be a little scary. Expect to be treated no better than Jesus. And we know, they didn't know this yet, but what they did to Jesus was to crucify him. So what exactly does that mean for us today? I, I think that's going to be different for every believer, depending on God's call in your life and where you live and maybe just, just his particular plan for you. You could encounter anything from ridicule to ostracization to being left out to being rejected by your family and friends to financial loss to job loss to being denied education or advancement opportunities to being beaten to being maimed to being tortured or to being killed or martyred now our church we personally know christians who have experienced everything that i just mentioned there the whole the whole scale from, from being ridiculed and ostracized and cut out of the family and disowned by relatives all the way to being beaten, tortured, and killed. 
our good friend Solomon is recovering right now. I talked to him this morning, uh, this past week. He, uh, he they were doing some evangelism in a, in a this was the service being taped, so we'll call it we'll call the city Z. Uh, They're showing the, the Jesus film, and they were handing out uh, things to the poor. And actually, when when the opposition happened, they were actually in a home uh, praying for a sick person. Uh, when a group of men came and they knocked him to the ground, they uh, uh, took a stick to Pastor. Uh, we'll call him P. And uh, and basically beat him up, uh, and now they've threatened him. There's a there's a charge with the police. The police are calling him to come back. So, like this this is not just Jesus Day, right? This is not just for the twelve, but but we know personally through the, through our church family, we know people that have experienced everything that Jesus is talking about, right? And so so exactly what Jesus said would happen. Had, has happened, has happened for the last 2,000 years, and is happening right now. Because of the reality of opposition, in whatever form it comes, here's the big danger, okay? And here's where we're going to settle in today. Here's the big danger. The big danger is for us to be fearful and for our fear to cause us to, in some way, pull back from the mission, all right? So, so that, that leads us to this passage that we're going to focus in on today. So you have this sending, okay, of which every believer in this room, we are sent. You have this, this, this commission on our lives, all right? And then you have this reality of what Jesus said would happen and did happen and is happening of opposition in some form, okay? And, and then the thing we want to deal with this morning is how do we deal with the fear of that opposition and the thing we really want to avoid, the thing we really want to make sure doesn't happen, the thing we want to repent of this morning if we need to, is withdrawing it in some way from the mission because of fear. Either out of fear of being silent about our association with Jesus, or out of fear of being silent about the good news of the kingdom of God, out of, out of fear of rejection or fear of ridicule or fear of physical harm or fear of men, in some way pulling back from the proclamation that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, what Jesus does for us here is he gives us four reasons that you ought not to fear. Okay? So, so that's what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at four reasons why you ought not to fear what men can do to you. You ought not to fear this opposition that will inevitably come as you are living out the commission that God has placed in our lives. Okay? So, number one, uh, we're going to take these just one, two, three, four. Okay? So, number one, right in order. First of all, Jesus says, don't fear because the truth will be known and the truth will prevail, okay? So you ought not fear because the truth will be known and the truth will prevail. So let's read those verses together again. Verse 26 and 27, have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be hit, revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, all right? So, so the first thing Jesus says is there are things that are covered and hidden presently all right so that, that's what he says so so he he, he says uh, have no fear of them for nothing that is covered right now will not be revealed nothing that is hidden right now will not be known all right now what is covered and what is hidden all right well what, the way i would express that to you is the awesome glory and truth of jesus okay that's what's covered and that's what's hidden uh, maybe even two things. The awesome glory and truth of Jesus is covered and hidden. And then maybe the other thing we could say is, is that the lies of the evil one, the lies of the devil, uh, the worthlessness of the world is covered and hidden. So those are the things that are covered and they're hidden right now. Um, this week at youth, uh, we were looking at uh, uh, John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And, and one of the things we talked about is how she couldn't see for, for a long time. To the end of the conversation, she was blinded. And, and so we unpacked, why, why does that happen? And, and the best verse, I think, to look at is 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In John chapter uh, 12, John chapter 12, in verse 40. Uh, Jesus prophesied this, or he told us that exactly this would happen in John 12, 40. 
Jesus says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So several places in the Bible make it very clear that, that there are truths that are hidden to many people today. In other words, at the heart of the opposition to the gospel is that people don't see. Uh, they, they can't see. They, they, they can't see the glory of Jesus. They can't see the awesome reality of who he is and what he's done. Uh, one of the things I, I loved when, when I preached on Wednesday night to the youth out of, out of uh, John 4 is I love that Jesus says to this woman at the well, he says, if you knew who I am and if you knew the gift of God, you would ask me. You would ask me and I would give you living water. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the reason you don't want me is because you don't see. You, you don't see the glory of Christ. You don't see the awesomeness of his nature. You don't see what he would give. You don't see what he would do in your life. All right, and so Jesus is saying the same thing here. He, he's saying there are things that are covered and hidden now, all right, that, that results in persecution. When people don't see the beauty or the wisdom or the power of Jesus, when they, don't, when they don't hear his truth about sin and salvation and money and marriage and paradise and parenting, when they don't see that stuff, then they will oppose you. Especially because what they do, what they do see is wrong. The, 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 true, the, the, the lies of the evil and the deceptions of, the, of Satan, those things the world says are true and lovely and progressive and wise, the reality of what they really are is hidden. All right, So there's this blindness that we have to deal with in our commission with the gospel. But here's what Jesus says. He says, you should not fear because one day all of that will be revealed. See that? Do you see where he's going? You, you should not fear to be bold. You should not fear to, to, to freely and boldly associate with Jesus. You should not fear to say his truth, to speak to a world that does not see. You should not fear to speak that truth to them because there's coming a day when all of that will be revealed. There's coming a day when all of that will be known. One of the best places to look to see that day, I think it's Philippians chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11, God says this, or Jesus says, or Paul says this about Jesus. He says in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, I mean, Paul says that day is coming. That day is coming when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody's going to know. At some point, everybody's going to know that the gospel that is preached at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church is the true gospel. At some point, every family member that now opposes you, everybody that thinks you're now ridiculous, everybody that's called you foolish, those guys that, that shoved down Solomon and, and hit Pastor P with a stick, those guys will someday, they will someday freely acknowledge with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the king of kings, that Hinduism is broken, it was a lie of the devil. They will one day say that. All right, so that, that's, that's what Jesus said. He said, you should not fear because the truth will be made known. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. See, right now, he's talking presently, the word of the cross to many people is foolishness. But the reality that Jesus is assuring us is that the day is coming when they will see. Okay, now, for many, that day is coming quickly. All right, I, I mean, it could be for everybody. But what I'm saying is, for some folks, it will happen in this life. Man, I, I can't tell you how cool it is. I, I got a call about two years ago from, from a guy that I had shared with in, in college. And, and he, he was very antagonistic to the gospel, very much like blew me off as a fanatic, as a weirdo, as whatever, dude, you know. And he was a good friend of mine. I got saved. I, I, I traveled to where he lived to try to share the gospel with him. And, yeah, it didn't go well. He, he was not at all interested and, and that guy came to Christ about, about two years ago. And, and, and he called me and he, he, he called, I mean, we haven't really spoken. We've spoken maybe one or two times in the last 20 some years. But when he came to Christ, he called me, you know. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know that I became a Christian, you know. And, and man, you, you, you know what's really cool? You would have thought, you know, that I would have been like, see, I told you. know, No, there was none of that. Like, I was just so happy, you know, that like the dude sees now, right? And, and, and so, so do you think I regret that, 
that little bit of opposition I face? Not at all. Like, like him coming and seeing now like makes all, whatever I had to endure back then absolutely worth it. Everyone will at some point fully acknowledge the glory and kingship of Jesus. Now, for many people, it will be too late. For many people, it will be in the judgment of God as they're being cast into eternal hell, as they're overwhelmed with an eternal regret. But what, what Jesus is saying is it will happen, okay? Men may see you as foolish and ridiculous and even harmful, okay? Men, men may say that you're hurting their family. Like, like, like you're going to hear this, if you are a faithful proclaimer of the gospel, you're, you're going to hear people say, man, you're, you're hurting things. Like, you're, you're messing things up. You're, you're, you're telling people things that are causing problems. You're, you're, you're a problem stirrer. But they will not think that forever. See, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. You should not fear that because they will not, they will not think that forever. Because at some point, the truth that you spoke will be vindicated. And so Jesus' application, please please notice this and take it to heart. He says, verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. In other words, what you learn about Jesus from the Spirit of God, you need to say that in the light. He, he, he says, what, 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 what you hear whispered, okay, what the Spirit of God whispers you, what, what you learn about Christ, you need to proclaim on the housetop. So there's this command to be bold. There's this command to not be ashamed of the truth that you know. Because at, at some point, everybody's going to know it's truth. You know, think, think about, uh, I went to a football game Friday night, and uh, the Boomers, uh, I left at the fourth quarter, so this thing may have way turned around, and nobody has told me, but uh, it, did, it wasn't going super when, when I left. But you know, I was thinking about, like, would you be willing would you be willing to play hard and root for your team for three quarters when they're getting trounced, okay? So you're getting just, just trounced for three quarters. Would you, would you be willing to root hard, play hard, exult being on your team if you were guaranteed that in the fourth quarter you were going to score 100 unanswered points? You know, if that could somehow be guaranteed, you know, the fourth quarter, I mean, we're it's, it's going to be touchdown, 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 and, and we're going it, it, to have this incredible victory. All right, would the, if you knew that, like if you were absolutely certain of that, would it change the way you played the other three quarters where you're getting trounced? I think it would. Like I think there'd be a whole lot of fans being like, yeah, it's okay, that's, that's all right. cheer now, it's all right. Like, like it's all right, you know, day's coming, like it's coming, it's coming. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. Do not fear because the truth is going to come out. And when it does, it's, oh, it's going to be worth it. Number two. Second of all, Jesus says, do not fear because men can only kill the body. All right, now, at first thought, it's like, okay, Jesus, you missed that one, right? Like, that's not a great encouragement not to fear, right? I mean, he's saying, hey, don't fear. They can only kill you, right? Don't fear. They can only, you know, shoot you, stab you, take your head. I mean, that, that first thought, it does not look like it's terribly encouraging, right? In verse 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul Rather, fear him who, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, here's where what you believe, here's where your firm convictions are really going to come out. All right? So, so, is your hope in this life only? You see, if it is, okay? So, so if what you love most is, is attached to this life, if what you treasure most are things like your possessions or, or the things you've built, the, the business you've built, the, the home you've built, even, even the family that you've built, you know, if, that, if those are truly your treasures, if those are at the top of your value system, then you're still going to be afraid because men can take all that away. All that can be lost. All that can be taken, not only by opposition, but lots of other things as well. But, if, if truly you have embraced the hope of the gospel, and your greatest joys, your greatest hopes are in Christ, like, like if, if you truly have done what Paul said in Colossians 3.1, to set your eyes on, on things above, 
If, if you truly have embraced that the kingdom of God is a treasure worth giving everything for, like if, if that is real, like if, if you are rock solid certain, and I hope you are today, that Jesus is going to be better to you than anything this world has to offer. Man, if, if, that, if that's where you're at, like if those, if, if you've got this mother load of hope stretching out in front of you that, that is just giving this great conviction and certainty of great things to come, man, if that is where you're at, then, then actually men can take nothing from you. Okay, the worst that they can do is kill your body. And, and you remember what Paul said about that? He said, man, if, you, if they kill your body, they just usher you into, into glory. Like they usher you into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. They usher you into the going into the new heavens and the new earth. They usher you into a new, a new resurrection life and resurrection body someday full of adventure and, and everything that this world was lacking. And then Jesus says this, Okay. He said, and more so, you should fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All right, now, Jesus says a thing here that he's going to do a bunch in the scriptures, okay? And basically what he says is, the way to combat fear is to push it out with a greater fear, okay? That's really what he's saying. He said, the the way that you combat fear, the way that you you conquer fear is, is by fearing something bigger. That something bigger is going to push out the smaller fear. Okay, and, and that if you follow the line of his thinking, that's exactly what he's saying. He said, don't fear those who kill the body. Okay, that's a small thing. Okay, now, now well, let's, let's, let's put that in perspective. That's a big thing. Okay, it seems big to us. This world is what we know. Okay, but, but what we know from Christ, there's a bigger thing. Okay, he says, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All right, and, and so, so essentially what he's saying is, is you ought to push out your fear of rejection. You should push out your fear of what are people going to think of me. You should push out, push out your fear of I don't want to be the, 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 the nerd, the geek, the, the, the loser in my workplace. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to lose clients over this. I don't want to lose money over this. I don't, don't want to lose my reputation. You ought to push out that fear with, with the bigger fear. Let me give you an illustration, okay? Let's say that you were vacationing in Indonesia back in 2004. I think it was Christmas time, if I remember right, when the 9.1 magnitude earthquake hit the Indian Ocean. Remember that? Okay, so let's say you were vacationing in Indonesia, and you, you, you had a place out on the beach, and you'd been at the beach all morning, and you're you know, hungry, so you're bringing your family to get, go get something to eat. And so you're walking from the beach back into town. And so as you, as you round a corner, you turn, and it's a narrow little street there in Indonesia, and there are five, six big men who, who look really rough, kind of blocking the street, right? So you, you turn around to your family, you're holding hands, you walk around, and bam, you, you face these five or six guys that look really rough, you know, look like they're up to no good. You know, one guy's got a scar, one has a pirate patch, that's always bad, you know. Um, there, there's one with a big knife on his, on his, uh, on his hip, you know, and, and, and they kind of start to move toward you like they, they want something, right? Now, Naturally, you would have some fear, okay? But let's just say that right at that exact moment, you hear screams coming from the beach. And as you turn, you see a 60-foot tsunami wave heading in for the beach at incredible speed. Are you afraid of the guys anymore? Man, you're not, are you? I mean, you run through them like the opposing teams ran through Oklahoma team football yesterday, right? I mean, you just... Man, you're just like, bam, you know, I mean, you don't give another thought to them, right? Because this thing here is certain to put put you away. So Jesus' point is, you should fear God more than you you should fear men. All right, so so here, man, here's what really comes down to me. You you should, you and I, we we should fear disobeying God more than we fear the rejection of God. Of men. You, you should fear dishonoring God more than you fear being dishonored by men. We, we should fear the consequences on our soul for not speaking the gospel more than we fear the consequences of our on our present life for speaking the gospel. I mean, that one right there grips me. Like, like if you have a life of, of kind of being a closet Christian. You know, and, and not really professing Jesus publicly, only kind of letting it out when you're around a bunch of other Christians. And you don't, you don't want any of your family to know where you stand. You never bring it up. You never proclaim the gospel. You know, 
Shouldn't your fear really be, man, do, do I have the thing I say I have? Because the consequences for not having that are an eternity in hell. Jesus says, man, you, you should be more afraid of that. Like you should be more afraid of not sharing the gospel than you are sharing the gospel. Men can take your life. But God can condemn your soul to an eternity of conscious torment in the lake of fire that the Bible calls hell. I mean, it's exactly what Jesus just says. Now, they're, they're very different kinds of fear. I, I understand that. I think you understand that, you know. Um, we, we fear men because they're, they're, they're vicious and mean and they, they, they will slander you and you know, do harmful things to you. Okay, we, we ought to fear God because he's an almighty tsunami who has said, you must, you must love my son. That's the only way of escape from the wrath that's coming. All right, number three. Okay, so thirdly, third, third reason not to fear. Jesus says, do not fear because your father knows and loves you intimately. I, I love that he puts those two together. You know, isn't that beautiful? I, I love that he, he kind of gives a stern warning of, man, you, you need to fear God because eternity is at stake. Hell, heaven is at stake. But, the, but then he comes right back with this comforting reality that we should not fear because our Father knows and loves us intimately. All right, so verse 29, start reading there. Um, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Okay, so here's his reasoning. So first of all, he says sparrows are not worth anything, right? Uh, They're not worth anything, and yet the old sparrow that dies of, I don't know what sparrows die of, actually. So let's just say wing disease, okay? The old sparrow that dies of wing disease, you know, 100 miles out in the forest somewhere that nobody's ever been, right? That old sparrow that dies of wing disease and he finally takes his last breath and, you know, off the limb and, bam, hits the forest floor. Okay, what Jesus says is this. God knew that bird and God knows the condition of the bird and the bird did not fall to the ground apart from the sovereignty of God. Okay, that, that's essentially what he's saying. God, God knows intimately the bird and he knew the bird fell and it did not fall except for the sovereignty of God. All right? Now, here's, here's this punchline. You're worth more than that sparrow to God. All right? So if you're a believer, here's what we know. You're a child of God. God, God, has, God has brought you to new birth and then adopted you into his family. He's put his Holy Spirit inside of you. He's joined you to the resurrection life of his son. That's what it means to be a Christian. Is it by faith you're actually joined, you're actually connected, you're tethered to the resurrection life of Jesus. God put you in Christ. You're an heir of Christ. He, when, he, when he sees you, he sees his son. Scripture said in the Old Testament of Israel, they're, they're the apple, God's people are the apple of his eye. In other words, God has his eye on his people. You're chosen, you're beloved, you're redeemed. And God is intimately acquainted with your current condition. Okay? To show us that, Jesus says he knows the hairs on your head. Okay? I am painfully aware that that number changes constantly, right? And it, it, from, in my sake, it does not go up. It only goes down, right? But God knows that. In other words, God knows the details of your life and your situation. He knows what you're facing. He knows the opposition. He knows the conversations. He knows your financial status. He knows what people have said about you or will say about you. He knows when you hurt. He knows you. Okay, that, that's, that's what Jesus wants you to be sure of it, is that God intimately knows you. And so when you put those two together, here's what you get. You're in Christ. You are loved. You are beloved. You are valuable to God. And number two, he knows every detail of your condition and is sovereign over all those details. And Jesus says that's why you should not fear. You should not fear being bold in the mission because the God who sent you is a God who loves you with a love that you can't fathom and is a God who knows you in ways that you can't imagine. And so you should not fear. You you know what's interesting as, as I thought about that? Some people will grab those two truths and they will actually twist them around to use them against God. I I think this really shows whether you have a posture of faith in your life or a posture of opposition to God. Some people will will twist those around. Something bad will happen to them and they'll say, well, man, if God loved me and if God knows my situation, then he wouldn't let the bad thing happen. 
Do you see, you see that, that twist that people will make? Jesus actually makes the other case. He says, you shouldn't fear the bad thing. Because what he's already told us, the bad thing's going to happen. This is a broken world. It's a sinful world. Bad things happen to Jesus. All right? But what he says is you shouldn't fear those bad things because of God's love for you and because God knows intimately your condition. It's actually exactly what Jesus said. Listen, God's love does not mean he keeps those he loves from any kind of trial. You will find that nowhere in the Bible. Okay, it means that all of our pain is purposeful. It means that, that all of our pain brings glory to his name. And, and it's, it, it is in magnifying our present and future joy in the rewards and glory to come. God, God's doing all that in our, in our trials. I, I love that Jesus actually said this in the midst of his persecution. So in John 19, um, John 19, 11, this is what Jesus says to Pilate. Uh, so Pilate's basically bullying him, you know. He said, don't, don't you realize I have the authority to crucify you? And in verse 11, Jesus answered and said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. You, you, you see, Jesus uses that same reasoning in his own persecution. You know, Pilate's like, don't you realize that I, I, I can put you to death right now? And Jesus is like, you know what, buddy? <laughs> you couldn't do anything to me unless my father had allowed it. And so he's, he's able to rest in the Father's care. He's able to rest that this thing's not out of control. This, this thing's not going in a wrong way. No. My, my Father, in his goodness, is allowing it for some great and glorious purpose that I cannot yet see. Actually, I think Jesus could see it, but for me, us, many times, we can't see it. Number four. And this kind of brings it all to a head, okay? Number four is Jesus says, do not fear because there is much at stake in your willingness to acknowledge Jesus before men. Okay, now the thing that I think we really need to be careful of here is that we don't look at what all of chapter 10 as optional Christianity, okay? So, so man, that, that, is, that, is, that is dangerous and deadly to your faith to, to look at chapter 10 and say, oh, whoa, whoa, he's talking about the apostles right here or he's talking about pastors, he's talking about missionaries, he's, talking, he's not talking to me. The really dangerous thing would be to say, you know what, chapter 10, I can just cut that out of my Bible, put it away for in safekeeping somewhere at home because it doesn't apply to me because I can be a Christian without being sent. And what I would tell you is I, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. What I, what I see in the Bible is that God sends his people. That if you know about him, then you're an ambassador for Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. You have this commission. No, we don't have this little mini commission on us where we're the 12 disciples and we're going to go out and come back and Jesus is going to regroup us and train us. Okay? No, but we have the great commission where Jesus sent us out. Okay, And so, so what I'm saying is don't, don't try to get out of this. And so what he's saying here is there is much at stake in your willingness to acknowledge Jesus before men. In verse 32 and 33, he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. I, I wish I could paint that picture for you. Man, wouldn't, wouldn't that be really cool if we could right now know what that is like? I don't know what that's going to be like, okay? But I, I just know that, that based on that verse and other verses in, in the Bible, what we see is, is there's going to come a time where we're going to stand before God Almighty, okay? The one to whom people cannot even look upon because of his magnificent glory, all right? We're going to stand before God, and, and the only thing that will save us, the only thing that will rescue us from, from the wrath of God upon our sin is that Jesus, our mediator, our advocate, will say, Father, he's with me. She's with me. This one's mine. They're joined to my resurrection life. They have my righteousness. I paid for their sin. I acknowledge them before you, Father. Wow. On the opposite, I cannot imagine the horror of the next verse. Verse 33, but whoever denies me before men I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. I cannot imagine standing before God with all of my sins all of a sudden thrust out into the open and the painful reality that I deserve hell, that I, I have transgressed over and over with my entire life. 
a holy and just God. And for me to look around for someone to help and for Jesus to say, I don't know this one. Remember, we dealt with that earlier in the book of Matthew, didn't we? Where Jesus says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty my works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You see, that, that's going to happen. There will be people and Jesus says, I, I didn't know you. So if fear of men will keep you from acknowledging your connection to Jesus, if fear of men will cause you to deny Christ before men, And if that has eternal consequences, then this is a big deal. So think of it this way. We are all worshipers by nature, okay? Um, A lot of people think that worship is a religious thing. It is absolutely not a religious thing, okay? The, 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 The need in us to exult in something, to rejoice in something, to to, uh, identify with something, the, the, the need in us to um, to praise what we love, man, that, that could not be more human. I mean, we, we do that with, man, there were millions of people that did it yesterday, right? There were millions of people that rejoiced in a sports team. And, and, and this is my team. I identify with this team. I, I will show you publicly that I identify with this team by wearing all of their stuff. Even if it's goofy looking, I will wear it with great joy, right? You know, I mean, like, like nobody, nobody wears a huge hat and thinks it looks great, right? They, they wear it because they're identifying with their team. And then I, I will praise and I, I will exult and I will rejoice over that. I mean, we're just built that way. We do it with our children. We do it with our grandchildren. We, you know, we, we, we're exulting and we're, we're that, it's in us, Okay. And so what does it mean if you won't do that with Jesus? What does it mean if, if, you, if you will praise and exult and, and, and glory in a team or a person or a musician or an artist or a place or the Grand Canyon or whatever? You, you will brag on that. You will proclaim the excellencies of all those things. But you're silent about Jesus. What does that mean if you never proclaim him? What does that mean if you never share the gospel? What does that mean if you never brag on him? What does that mean if you never publicly identify with him? What does that mean if you're never baptized or if you, if you never pro- have a proclamation in this life? I, th- I think what Jesus is getting at is, is, it, is it means you're not his. See, we've already seen it's costly to follow Jesus. And, and so essentially, if, if you will not publicly identify with him, I think what Jesus is saying here is you, you've essentially said, I, 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 pick, I pick men over God. I'm, I'm much more concerned about what these guys think than what God thinks. I'm much more concerned with, with, with what others think of me than what God thinks of me. I, I'd rather have people think I'm cool than, than I would trust and treasure Jesus. I, I choose the world over Jesus. I choose the approval and comforts of this life over the glories of Jesus and his resurrection. So in a very clear way, an unwillingness to identify publicly with the person of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel is a sign that we do not love or trust Jesus. So this is big. Now, I feel like I need to say that because that's exactly what Jesus said. And then I feel like we need to take one step back and make sure you don't go too far, okay? So, so, so the too far would be well, Pastor, I had this one time in my life. I, I, I was visiting with a guy this week. Uh, we were having a, a morning study together at McDonald's. And, and I told him I was preaching on this passage. And he's like, oh. He told me this really cool story of when he was like a new Christian. He was in college. And he went to a concert. And, and somebody, uh, the, the, the performer said, hey, if you're a Christian, if you, if you identify with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand? And he said his buddy and him, they were Christians, but they didn't raise their hand. They, he, he said, honestly, we just felt like we were t- kind of too cool for that. Like, we were Christian. We don't need to you know, raise our hand. And then he said, the guy, the guy says, okay, great. And then he reads this verse, you know. And he's like, oh, you know. I mean, he's just like crushed him, okay? But, but here's the reality about this guy. He has spent his life publicly 
proclaiming Jesus Christ. Like, I know where he works right now, and I know everybody in his workplace knows that he's a Christian. I know everybody in his workplace has heard him speak the gospel, right? And so, so what we don't want to do is look at this like this, this works thing, and, oh, I blew it once, so Jesus is not going to deny me, you know? I'm going to get up there, and he's going to say, eh, you remember that time at the concert when you were 19, you know? He's not saying that. What, what's the great example of that? Peter, right? Was, was Peter a Christian guy? Yes. Yeah, did, 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 Peter, did, did Peter live a life of proclaiming Jesus Christ? Yes, but did he deny Jesus? Yes. Three times in one night. And the rooster crowed. And it says he ran away and wept. So was Peter not a believer? No, he, he was a believer. Peter repented of that. Just, just like I, I pray that actually this is what, what I hope happens in this sermon is this passage causes you to repent of any silence that you've, you, you've been living with the gospel or any, any fear of identifying with Jesus. That's what it did in Peter. Man, it, it, there was this great repentance. And, and remember when he hears Jesus is alive, he runs to the tomb. When, when he's out fishing on the lake and, and, and Jesus appears on the beach cooking fish, he jumps out of the boat and swims, you know, to get to Jesus. And then when Jesus gives him a shot to redeem himself at Pentecost, he steps out and boldly proclaims, you crucified the king, the Messiah. Your blood's on his hands. And there's only one means of salvation, and it's through him. And 3,000 people were saved. And Peter kept proclaiming the glories of Jesus until they crucified him upside down. So does one failure to identify with Jesus publicly cause you to go to hell? That, that, that would be a works-based salvation that we don't believe in, okay? What we're talking about is, do you have a life of loving and treasuring Jesus? And are you constantly fighting against the fear of men in order to do a good job in publicly proclaiming Jesus. That, that, that's the mark of a believer. What, what I've found in people that are true believers is whenever they do blow it, it just makes them more resolved not to blow it. Man, I, I, I remember kind of my, one of my moments, uh, like Peter, I, I, was, I was a pretty new Christian, been a Christian about a year. I was in, living in Bolivar, Missouri. I had a flat tire. I took it to the tire shop to get fixed. I'm, I'm standing there, the guy's fixing my tire, and, and he's, he's a rough guy. And man, he, he could, he was, he was really rough. And, and at one point though, he says something that would have tied me into the gospel and it was like in me and I just stuffed it down because he was a rough guy. It was a rough place. I, I was, I mean, honestly, just honest, honest, I was fearful. I was fearful that what these guys would say, what they would think of me. And so I didn't say anything. And I knew I had a shot. Like I knew, I knew God had given me the shot. I got in my car. Guys, misery. <laughs> like, have you ever felt that? Like, I was just so convicted. I drive across town. I get to my government-subsidized apartment. I sat out in the car, and I just like, I was like, I, I can't live this way. I started the car, you know, I went back, and I pulled up to him. Now it's super awkward, you know. I mean, here's a lesson God taught me. When I give you the shot, take it, you know, because now it's super awkward. You know, I come in, he's like, what, something wrong? You know, I mean, he's like, what, why are you here again, you know? Like, is something wrong with the tire? And I was like, no, you know, I was here before, and you were talking about this, and, you know, when you said that, I knew God wanted me to tell you this, and I didn't tell you because I was, I was scared, and blah, 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 and, and I don't know, the guy was like, Okay, whatever. You know, I mean, no, I wish I had a great story. I wish I was like, yeah, he went to his night. I don't. I, but who knows what did happen? Like, like maybe I'll meet that guy in heaven. He'll be, remember that tire deal? You know, I don't know. But, I mean, nothing happened that I know of. But I, I was able to get back in the car and be like, <sighs> okay. My experience is that, that's the way believers feel. They're not looking for a way to not share Jesus. They want to share him, but they're just battling against this fear. You know what I was really interested in? I was interested in uh, talking to our mission partners about this. Man, we're out of time. Um, let me tell you this real quick, though. Um, so, so how do you handle this when you're in places in the world where, you know, the stakes are really high? And so I was talking to one of our mission partners, and here's what he said. He said this great statement. He said, you've always got to be checking your heart to see if it's faith or fear. Faith or fear. 
okay? So, so for instance, in, in Matthew 10, 16, it says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, you know, you, you need to be wise. So, so we're going to be going to one of those places again in January, okay? We've already got our ticket spot. So, so I, I don't think that what this means is, is I get off the plane and I'm like, Hey, everybody, I just want to let you know that I'm a Christian. I identify publicly with Jesus Christ, and I'm here because I know you all are lost and in your sins, and God wants you to be saved. And I mean, if, if God would lead that, then do that. But if not, that's probably the quickest way to not get to go, right? Like, like that's probably the quickest way for them to be like, get back on the plane, you know, or, or, or worse, right? And, and so, so, so sometimes, it's, it, sometimes what I'm saying is some, there is a time where, where you're just being wise. You're, you're not fearful, Right? The reason you didn't share was not out of fear and you knew God wanted you to. Sometimes the reason is strategy. Sometimes you're being as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. What, what I've found is I, I, I try not to, particularly when I'm in settings where people don't know I'm a pastor, I try not to lead with, hi, I'm Reverend Jason. I mean, I try not to lead with that. I try, I try to lead with, you know, just, hey, build a relationship here. Build, you know, try to, try to start a friendship. Try to start some kind of commonality. Try to start a conversation. And then God will give me a chance to move in. That, that's kind of what I do. But, but I have to check my heart with that. Is my motive fear or faith? I think a lot of times it's faith. It's like, I really want to share with this guy. And so I, I, I want to be strategic. It's not. I don't want to share with him, so I'm looking for an excuse not to. And I think we've all got to just constantly be measuring our hearts in that area. All right, we, we've, got, we've got to shut this down. And so let, let me just leave you with this. Leave you with that last verse that, man, Jesus says, if you acknowledge me here, I will acknowledge you in heaven. That's a reason to be bold. Father, I pray, God, for a boldness, Lord, in, in being willing to share we're willing to brag on you, Jesus, just to, to look for those opportunities in conversation where we can just talk about how great you are, how you've answered prayers, how you've changed our lives, how you've forgiven our sins, how you're coming back, how you're going to defeat all evil and, and sin and suffering and death. Father, give us a boldness in, in seizing those opportunities. And God, help us to, to fight against fear. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you sing? Please stand and sing.